This is Idlewild, 1982, our third period class, taught by Brother Robert Lloyd from Glendale, California. His general subject is Paul's letter to the Philippians, and the title of his first class is Which Way to Go? Brother Bob. My dear brethren and young brothers and sisters and young people, don't want to leave the sisters out. It's a great privilege to be able to come among you and address you. We've been coming to this Bible school since 1955. Brother Wilfred Alley told us a, a very cute story this morning about the three riverboat captains. And we had the same wonder that he had. Uh, you not only knew that I hit all the sandbars and rocks in the river, but a lot of you were with me when I did it. <laughs> but we're very happy to be here and, and uh, share the thoughts of Philippians with you. Before we do that, though, we have a, an obligation to perform. We have just recently returned from Australia, and everywhere we were, we were given specific instructions by the Recording brother, we were in Melbourne, and the conference chairman asked us to convey the love of all the brothers and sisters at the conference, some 1,200 brothers and sisters there, to you when they found out we were going to be here. We went to Hobart, which is Brother Stephen Taylor and Polly Taylor's ecclesia. We stayed in their home when we were in Hobart. Their recording brother and presiding brother on the last night specifically asked us to convey their love to the brothers and sisters when we got to Idlewild. We went out to Perth, and their recording brother asked us to do that. We got to Adelaide, and they asked us to do that. We got to Sydney, and they asked us to do that. We went to Newcastle, and they asked us to do that. So my first responsibility is to give you the love and greetings of the brethren and sisters from almost everywhere in Australia. Would you like to know a secret? Would you like to know the secret of true happiness? Would you like to meet the person who will tell you the secret of true happiness? Would you like to know the one who told him about the secret for true happiness? Then let's go together to the book that God wrote to learn the secret of true happiness. Because we're going to get to know the man who will tell us the secret of true happiness and the one who told him the secret. And the secret is revealed in the book of Philippians. And the one who's going to tell us the secret of true happiness is our beloved Apostle Paul. And the one who told Paul the secret of true happiness is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful letter that we have to consider together. This letter to the Philippians. Aren't you glad that Paul was put in jail? Aren't you thrilled that they took Paul and imprisoned him in Rome? Doesn't that fill you with joy? You say, how can you be happy about a thing like that? Well, I am. I'm really glad that Paul was put in jail. If you look at the little epistles which John wrote, he says in them, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. But John wasn't in jail. So he went to them, and all the things we wish he would have told us, he told some, but he went and told them in person, which was better for them, but not so good for us. And then in his third epistle he says, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. But poor Paul couldn't do that. Not at this time. He's in jail. He doesn't even know when he's going to get out. 
or even if he is going to get out. He believes that he will. Paul believed that he would be delivered. Paul thought positively. Paul hoped to see them again, but he couldn't go then. He was chained to a Roman soldier. 24 hours a day chained to a Roman soldier. Not the same soldier. The soldiers got a relief. Paul never got a relief. The soldiers would come and say, okay, it's my turn. Unlock Paul's chains. Then the next fellow would be chained up to Paul. Now he's got a new man to be chained to. But everybody he was chained to heard about Jesus. And so Paul says himself in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, the things which you think are bad, they really are good. Chapter 1, verse 12, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have happened rather under the furtherance of the gospel. So we ought to be glad that Paul was in jail because it was working out for the benefit of lots of people. Not necessarily Paul. Yes, it was working out for Paul. Well, you wouldn't think so if you were Paul. I don't think I would. I mean, if, if I was in jail in Rome, and I hadn't done anything wrong. Remember, Peter says, if you do something wrong and you get punished for it, well, you got it coming, you can't rejoice in that. But when you do everything right and you're punished for it, well, now you can take praise in that. You can be thankful for God. For that. How can you be thankful for that? Well, because he says that the things that have happened to me, they're actually working out for good. And he was in jail when he said that. And so he really believed what he said when he wrote to the Romans. And he said that all things, not some things, not sometimes, all things, all the time, work together for good. To, for everybody in the world? No. Just us. Just those who are the called according to his purpose. Only to that select group of people in this world do all things work together for good. But do you believe it? You know the words. I haven't taught you anything you don't know. You've heard all that before. Our brother Larry Butel, in his prayer this morning, prayed that the words that we would hear would have an effect upon our life. That's the key. These aren't words to read. These aren't words to say. These are words to live. Paul was living out what he said. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Even what you think are bad things, they're good things because they're working out for your salvation. And that's the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to you or me. And so don't worry if things aren't going the way you would like. Paul didn't want to be in jail. He hated it. He wanted to be out preaching. He wanted to be free to go and see these ecclesias and speak to them face to face like John was doing. But you see how much benefit has come to us because they locked up Paul? We would maybe never have had this little letter to the Philippians if it hadn't been that Paul went to jail. This letter is called Philippians because it was written to people who lived in Philippi. The city of Philippi got its name from Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. When, Alexander the, when, when Philip II seized the throne, it was 359 years B.C. And Macedonia, the area which he took over at that point was just a small area, about the size of the state of Vermont or Maryland. And it was a small segment of a large region which we know as Thrace. Now, Philip II enlarged this town. He improved it and he named it after himself, just like David said people would do. People name things after themselves. They want to be famous. Philippi is gone. It's in ruins. Our brother Mansfield this morning in his talk told us about the ruins of the city of Corinth that he's walked in. The city of Philippi is in equally poor repair. Even Ephesus, which has glorious ruins, is still ruins. But so, so who, who talks about Philippi today? 
The only reason Philippi is important, the only reason most of us have ever heard of Philippi, is because Paul wrote a letter to them. Not because of anything that happened there, other than what we have recorded in our Bible. Philip II says, I want to be famous. I'm going to name the city after me. And, and he didn't make it famous at all. It was Paul, really, that did it, even for the world today. Now, this city was situated 10 miles from the Gulf of Neapolis, northwest of the island of Thasos in the Aegean Sea. Paul would have considered a city to his north. And, you know, everything we, we, we relate to what's uh, from us. I'm talking to some of the brethren and sisters, young people here from Detroit, and I say, you Easterners. And they don't consider themselves Easterners because they say, hey, we're in the Midwest. Well, to us, they're East, you see. If you're in Detroit, then you think New York is East. And, I ask, and if you're in New York, you think England is East. And so it all depends on where you are as to whether a thing is, is North or South or East or West. To you. And so this area was North to Paul because he lived in Tarsus, which was South of this area. Two centuries after the city of Philippi was conquered, by Philip II. It was divided into four political districts, the area. And the famous Roman general, Aemilius Paulus, gets the credit for the decisive victory near Mount Olympus on the western shore of the Gulf of Salonica in the year of 168 B.C. By this time, the gold mines of Philippi, you see there was gold, and there's gold in them dar hills, which we know, and we talk about the gold rush of California, and the gold now is all gone. Well, there was gold in them dar hills back in Philippi, and Philip dug it all out. So by this time, the city has de declined, it's like some of the gold rush cities of California, which are just ghost towns. It hadn't gotten quite that bad. But it was not a very prominent city anymore. And then in the year 146 B.C., Macedonia became one of the six provinces governed by Rome. And as a result of this, the city was enlarged and became more important again. It became a battle place for an important battle that took place in 42 B.C. between Brutus and Cassius, defenders of the Roman Republic on one side, and Antony and Octavian who were the avengers of Caesar's death on the other. After two engagements, Antony and Octavian were victorious. Brutus and Cassius were dead. After this, it was made into a Roman colony. Antony settled some of his disbanded veterans there. In 31 BC, there was a big naval battle between Antony and Octavian, and Octavian was victorious over Antony and why did Antony leave, lose the battle? Well, he'd become infatuated with this beautiful Egyptian queen who had previously been the mistress of Julius Caesar. Her name was Cleopatra. Realizing the hopelessness of their cause, both Antony and Cleopatra committed suicide, and Octavian became the sole head of the Roman Empire. As a result of this, he was crowned Caesar on August the 27th in 29 B.C., and from then on he was known as Augustus Caesar, I guess because it happened in August. Philippi now is a Roman colony, and it's a, it's a miniature Rome. It's a, it's, they want to do everything that Rome did. They were like a little kitty who follows his daddy around. He wants to do everything that daddy did. Well, Philippi looked at Rome, and whatever Rome did, that's what we do. They enjoyed all the rights and the privileges of Roman citizens, such as freedom from scourging, from arrest, except in extreme cases, and the right to appeal to the emperor. This is kind of interesting background. They were not supposed to do anything to a Roman like scourging without a proper trial. We'll see later what happened there. And we can see why Paul is writing this letter in writing this letter to them, mentions things in this letter that aren't any other letter he writes. Look at, first, uh, look at Philippians 1, verse 13. He says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Now, he doesn't mention this. 
in any of his other letters. But you see, Philippi is a miniature Rome. And a lot of the people from Philippi used to live in Rome. And probably some of the soldiers went back and forth so that the people in Philippi would know the people in Rome. And they would be familiar with the, the guards and, the, and, the, and the, the palace and all of the things that are well known. For example, you, any of you are here from, oh, we'll say the San Francisco area. Well, you're familiar. If, if you're down here, you're, you're familiar with what's going on up there. Some of the rest of us wouldn't be. But he, they knew all about Rome, and so he mentions things in this chapter that he mentions in no other. Chapter 4, Philippians, verse 22. <coughs> all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So Paul's been busy. Paul's been doing something besides being chained to a, a soldier. He's been teaching the people that worked for Caesar... Imagine working in the White House and, 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 and getting all the people that work for Reagan at Christadelphians, or not all of them, but some of them. That's the kind of thing, except that he, you wouldn't be a prisoner in the White House, and he was a prisoner uh, in Rome. It's helpful for us, when we study this letter, to recall how this little ecclesia got its start. Because if there were no brethren and sisters in Philippi, there would be no letter to the Philippians. So, by storing up your pure minds by way of remembrance, as Peter tells us, let's see what we can learn that will help us in our studies of this little book. You remember that the first time he ever went there was on his second missionary journey. It's somewhere around the year 50 A.D. Now, at Derby, Timothy joins the group, and then when they get to Troas... Uh, located on the south of what is now considered the site of ancient Troy, they're in a quandary what to do. They don't know what to do. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, because I think this is a condition that we sometimes get in. We want to do right, but we don't know what to do. And, and we're going to learn today what you do when you don't know what to do. Because you do do something when you don't know what to do. But a lot of people don't. <laughs> I don't know what to do, so I'll sit down. And that's not what Paul did. Paul didn't know what to do. He knows he's doing God's work. He knows God wants him to go out and preach. He's trying to do what God says. But every time he goes up against the door, it's shut. And he goes to another door and it's shut. We'll look at this and we'll see. Acts chapter 16, uh, verse uh, 6. Now when they'd gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, we don't know why we're not told. Just says God says, don't go there. Sometimes we go where we ought not go and do what we ought not do because we want to. I can remember a picture of a, a story about a lumberjack. And he, he didn't like his job and he wanted to quit. So he comes into town one day and he was out of work. And they said, well, what did you do with your job? He says, well, I just decided I was going to leave it up to change. I threw my axe up in the air. I said, if it came down, I'm quitting. Sometimes we're like that. I mean, God's trying to guide us, and we, want, we already know what we want. We're, instead of asking God, we're telling God. And so we tell God what we want to do, and then if he closes the door, we, go, we, jump around, we try to climb the, climb the gate or knock it down or something. God knows what's best for us. We really don't. We think we do. We're just like a little kitty. You know, I want, they want another piece of candy. Mom and Daddy knows best. Oh, no, we want another piece of candy. Well, you're mean. You don't love me if you don't give me another piece of candy. You know that you love them because you're not giving them another piece. But they don't understand that. We're like little kitties to God. And we need... This sign up here is wonderful. And I didn't know they were going to have it here. But it's the theme of our, our talk today. And I hope that you know where it is and I hope you know the rest of it. Because if you don't today, God willing, if you cooperate, you will tomorrow. Because it's your homework for tonight. And we're going to have homework, and we can't make you do it. No one can make anyone else do anything. Not even God it will make us be good. So if you don't want to be a good, you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But if you will do it, you'll be richer and more successful as a result. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That means you don't trust in, your, in yourself and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
in all thy ways acknowledge him, and then a wonderful thing happens. He will direct your paths. But not if you want to go where you want to go and do what you want to do and tell God what you want him to do. God, this is the way I'm going to do it. No, in all your ways acknowledge him. First you trust in him. Now we came up a, a windy mountain road up here. Lots of curves. Can you imagine driving up this mountain road with somebody and you didn't trust the driver? And so every time you came to a curve, you ground over and grabbed the wheel. Well, we would all be feeling sad at the fact that you're down at the bottom of the hill about now. If you're going to get in a car with a person, you better trust them. And if you don't trust them enough to put your life in their hands to ride with them, don't ride with them. Uh, but we do that with a car. And we don't do that with God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. And then, and that's, everything is a qualification up to that point. It's only then that God will direct your paths. Not until you do all of that. And so that's exactly what Paul did. He didn't know what to do. He's trying to go to, uh, to, to Asia and God says no. So verse 7 after they were come to Messiah, they decided to go into Bithynia. But no, you can't go there. So they passed by Messiah and they came down to Troas. Paul's in a dither. He's trying to do God's work and he doesn't know what to do. And if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, you don't lean on your own understanding, if in all your ways you acknowledge God, then he will do what happened to Paul. Not the same way necessarily, but the same thing. The God that you and I worship is the same God that Paul worshipped. And he's just as all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving today as he was in those days. I mean, we don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit like Paul did. We cannot raise the dead and heal uh, sick people. But that doesn't mean that the God that we worship is any less powerful than the God that he worshipped. And God will direct your lives if every bit as much as he directed Paul's life. It, it isn't that because there's no open vision today, therefore we do not have God's help in our lives today. You have God working in your life just as fervently, just as real as he worked in Paul's. But not if you don't trust him. Not if you don't believe it. Not if you're trusting in your own wisdom and your own understanding and you telling God what you want. You don't lean on your own understanding. You don't rely on your own brain power. You say, God, here am I. What do you want me to do? But you don't sit down. You get up and you start moving. You put a little rat in a maze. And you put some cheese at the other end. And he goes up and he bumps into a wall. What does the rat do? Well, he sits there and cries. No, he turns and he runs into another wall. Now what does he do? Oh my goodness, I might as well give up. I've bumped two walls. He turns again and he finds an opening, but he bumps another wall. And he goes through that maze bumping into walls and turning and bumping into walls and turning and bumping into walls. And... But he keeps moving and he gets the cheese. Now you and I are to be active in God's service. And the way we do it is by we get moving. And we don't always know exactly what God wants us to do. We don't always know where he wants us to go. But we don't do like the lumberjack and decide that we're going to do this no matter what. We ask God to open doors and close doors. And when we bump a closed door, we turn. And so that's what happened to Paul. And so Paul receives in a night vision this message of a man saying, come over into Macedonia. We need help in Macedonia. That's where we're to go. And so, what did they do? Well, they went. <laughs> well, no. No, I think, I think after we've prayed, and we've asked God to guide our steps, and we believe we've got an answer to this, well, let's don't do anything for a while. Let's sit and cogitate on it. That's what many of us do. Even after the door opens, we think, oh, there's the open door. Well, I'm kind of tired right now. I'll, I'll wait and see if it's open tomorrow. Look, 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 look at verse uh, 10. And after they had seen the vision, uh, two weeks later, we endeavored to go to Macedonia. 
No, immediately. Right now. That's the key. Right now. Keep going. Keep moving. You don't always know what you're supposed to do. When you think you know, get going. If it turns out not to be, keep going. God will guide your steps. God feeds the birds. He doesn't put the food in their mouth. You ever seen a little bird out here with somebody jamming food down his little mouth and it's just screaming and hollering? Nope. The bird's got to get up every morning and look for it. But God feeds the birds. That's, a tr- that's the truth. God guides your life, but you've got to move. He won't do it if you're sitting down. Get going. Immediately, they wanted to do God's work. And that's one of the most important lessons we can learn from today's session, is to get moving and try to do what God wants us to do. If we don't know what to do, take it to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to guide your steps. Then get going. If you hit a closed door, then turn again. You hit another closed door, turn again. But just keep going. That's the key to service in the truth. Once they knew what to do, they lost no time doing it. I think sometimes we need to learn from that. We, sometimes we have a contact. Uh, the Truth Corps has been in Glendale the last two weeks, and we have contacts coming out our ears. And they've gone out and they've seen these people, and they have inter- interested some of, them, some of them in the truth, And now they're going to leave us with all these interested people, and we ought to sit down and think about it. (laughs) No, there's a work to do. Get doing it. There's a time to pray, and there's a time to move. And it's it's, it's, you remember Nehemiah? They prayed and worked. They they kept their spears in their hand, and they prayed, and they did the... You could have prayed and said, well, God, you know, just open the doors and make 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 the wall come alive. No, they had to put each brick on one at a time. God could have gotten rid of all their enemies, but he doesn't do it that way. They had to do the work themselves, and they had problems, and they had temptations, and they had dangers. But they did the work, because that's the way we're supposed to. Now, Solomon gave us this advice, and again, this isn't anything we don't already know. It's not, I'm not going to teach you a thing hardly you don't already know. All we want to do this week is to get you motivated to doing what you already know to do. And there isn't any one of us that can't do more than we are. The biggest room you have in your house is the room... For improvement. So what you, what, whatsoever you find to do, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, said Solomon, sit down and think about it. No, he says, do it. No, it doesn't say that. It says, do it with thy might. Why? Well, because you're not going to be here forever. There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. All the people in Philippi are gone. All the people in Corinth are gone. All the people in Ephesus are gone. All the people in Laodicea are gone. And some of them are going to, in the final analysis, be gone forever. Not because they couldn't have been saved, Not because God didn't want them to be saved. Not because Jesus didn't die so they could be saved. Just because we're going to learn from the book of Philippians that most people are too wrapped up in their own little world and they have no time for God. And that in his class this morning. He quoted the problems of Sodom and Gomorrah. All the terrible things they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. He told us about them. And you think, oh, don't tell me about those. Oh, that's terrible. He doesn't mention any of the sexual immorality that went on there. He says they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they built, they planted. And he, Brother Mancio pointed out, those are not, there's nothing wrong with those things. Oh, yes, there is. If that's all you do, there's something terrible wrong with those things. Because they're crowding God right out of your life. That's what's wrong. Any one of those by themselves is not wrong. This is water. This is no sin. But if that's all... But it's a sin. It's not the thing. 
It's what we think about it and what, what, what we love and what we spend our time in and what we, what we engage our lives in. So whatsoever you find to do, he says, do it with all your might. Now at this point, going back to Acts 16, we have Luke joining the party. And it's a marvelous thing how Luke comes in and out of the party. You can always tell when Luke's with them and when he isn't. I'm sure you already know this. But you tell by the they's and the we's. When they went here and they did this, then Luke's not along. Then when he says, we went here and we did that, then Luke's with them. Then they, they, so Luke wasn't with them, then Luke comes to Philippi with them. And we'll see that when they left Philippi, Luke stayed there. And so they went on to Thessalonica. He didn't go. Because he was commissioned by Paul to continue to help this little ecclesia that was started there. So we have a little company now of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And they're all eager to go into Macedonia and to preach the gospel. Are, are you eager to preach the gospel? I mean, is this something you really want to do? Um, uh, do you, is it your meat to do God's work? Does everybody, everybody that knows you, do they know you're a Christadelphian? I worked with a man once. Or I knew a man once, and I happened to mention to another businessman that uh, he mentioned this person's name, and I said, oh, you know him, I know him, he's a Christadelphian. He says, he's a what? I said, he's a Christadelphian, I'm a Christadelphian, he's a Christadelphian. He says, that's a church? I said, yeah. He says, you mean he goes to church? And here was a Christadelphian who was so clever in hiding his light under the bushel basket that nobody knew. He went to any church, let alone Christadelphian. So, are you eager to do God's work? Have you ever thought about who God has on earth to do His work except us? I mean, here we are. Imagine the Christadelphians, instead of being a religious body, we are a sales organization. And we, we, we have widgets. And we have the best widget you have ever seen. It widgets better than anybody else's widget. And you are the sales force for the widgets. And I got this great big factory with thousands of people making widgets. And I said, go out and tell the story about the widgets. But nobody does. And the, the widgets keep piling up in the warehouse. And, and it doesn't make sense how good a product you got if you don't tell people about it. And, and who do we have to tell the truth as it is in Christ but Christadelphians? What religious body can we hire to go out and preach Christ as He is except us? There's nobody. There's no group that I know of that will tell it like it really is except us and we don't do it. God is depending on you and me to be His ambassadors. To spread the good news of His coming kingdom. And if we don't do it, who's going to? I want each of you to think of that personally. Because we are workers together with God. Paul was a worker together with God is in partnership with you. Jesus at 12 says, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Are you in business with God? Are you doing God's business or your business? Brother Mansfield again mentioned about getting rich by being prospering in business. Whose business are you in? If I say to you, what do you do? Most of you say, well, I do this, I do that, I'm an engineer, I drive a bus, I, I mow the lawns, I do, you know. Well, that's fine. We do that for, but what, what do you do? Your real answer is, I work for Jesus. I work for God. I'm in business with them. I'm about my Father's business. I'm a worker together with God, are you? How do you do that? By the way you live? And by the things you say. Now, American Express has a slogan for their credit card, which says, don't leave home without it. And they're talking about a credit card. I believe with all my heart that every Christadelphian, every time you go out of your house, 
should take with you, in a pocket or a purse, some kind of a pamphlet. I wear, I, sometimes I wear them out before I give them away, and I'm ashamed of that. But this is a little one that, that it doesn't matter what it is, just so you've got something on you about Christadelphians. I have this little one about answering your questions about Christadelphians, and I have another little one, which I'm blessed to have a son-in-law that's a printer that printed me up, and it's a whole little booklet about our faith, and it's got a little time chart in the back, and most of you have already seen it. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just that you have something on you. It could be a little business card. My son has a little business card with the, his, the proofs of the beliefs of the Bible and his name and address on the back of it. But don't leave home without it. And then try to get rid of it because it doesn't do you any good there. It only does you good if you get it out. But, but you should be... You know, you're the only Bible some people have ever read? What's the epistle of God according to you? I mean, you, people are reading you every day. Everybody you see is reading you. Do, do they know of your love for the truth? Do they know of your hope for the coming kingdom? Have you told them about it? Uh, how are you going to... What, what if you did have a pill that would cure cancer? And you saw people dying of cancer, wasting away, and you had the pill in your pocket, and you could give it to them and save them, and you wouldn't. You'd be cruel, wouldn't you? That would be merciless. That would be terrible. And everybody you and I know is dying. They have an incurable disease called sin. And you've got the answer to that. And if you don't tell them about it, who's going to? So Paul, he was out to do it. And he did it. And so they take off and they sail from Troas in verse 11 of Acts chapter 16. And they're on their way to Philippi. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothrachia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi. They, left, they lost no time. If you'll check Acts chapter 20 and verse 6, you'll see the same trip took five days going the opposite way. I mean, how far is the, how long does it take to drive from L.A. to San Francisco? How long does it take to drive from San Francisco to L.A.? You say, well, it's the same distance. I mean, if you, if you do it so many hours this way, you ought to be able to do it so many hours that way. Well, they went, they, they went in two days and they came back in five. That's how anxious he was. Now, maybe he had a good win and other things to help him too. But God will always help you if you're trying to do what's right. He'll even have the wind blowing at your back. Acts chapter 20, verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them and threw us in five days. It took five days to go the other way. It took two days to go this way. God was blessing them. He was helping them. When they got to Neapolis, they walked 10 miles to Philippi. Now, God had definitely sent them to Philippi. So when they got to Philippi, God has said, come over to Philippi and help us. So as this little band of four brethren walked into Philippi, there was a big banner across the street, welcome Christadelphians to Philippi. Right? Wrong. Because God doesn't work that way. They come to Philippi. They're doing God's work. And yet, no such welcome as that. What did they do when they get to Philippi? Where did they go? Well, they went straight to the synagogue, of course, because that's what Paul always did. When he got to a city, he went to the synagogue, because that was the place where he could find people to preach to. I mean, you've got to find people to preach to, right? So he goes to the synagogue to preach. No. There's no synagogue in Philippi. No synagogue. Why? Well, if you look that up in a Bible dictionary, you find out. And Unger's Bible dictionary says, it was required that a synagogue should be built wherever ten Israelites were dwelling there. In the larger towns, he says, there was a considerable number of synagogues. So there was, some cities had a lot of them, like Jerusalem and Alexandria and Rome. But, but in Philippi, no synagogue. Well, why? Well, maybe there were less than ten Jews. Or perhaps the Jews there were so weak in the faith that they didn't bother to build one. Or maybe it was because they had been forbidden to build one, although there were synagogues in Rome. But you remember just, uh, if you ch check chapter 18 here of Acts in verse 2, we find that at, uh, Priscilla and Aquila had just been kicked out of Rome because uh, Claudius had, had made everybody leave Rome. And since Philippi copied Rome, maybe they said, well, if, if they're not welcome... The Jews aren't welcome in Rome, they're not welcome in Philippi either. So that could be the reason, because this Emperor Claudius, who reigned from AD 41 to 54, uh, was a very mean 
to the Jews. At first he was friendly and then he turned, turned, turned against them. Anyway, whatever the reason, no synagogue. So what are they going to do? Well, we, we, we better go on to Thessalonica. There's one there. There's no use stopping at Philadelphia. This is a godless city. You know, I've heard Christadelphians say, uh, we mentioned about, do you have Bible lectures in your city? Oh, no. Our town is such a godless town. There's no use having Bible lectures in our town. Nobody comes to Bible lectures. There's no use doing it. Isn't that a, a, an awful attitude to decide that all the people in your town aren't worth saving? Now, maybe they aren't, but why do you decide that? That's God's prerogative. You're to go out there and do His work. And He'll bless those that He wants, and He'll call them. We have no right to not do God's work because we think, oh, well, you never get any results in that town. And there are ecclesias in cities where they've given up having lectures because he says everybody here is godless. And that's a wrong attitude. So we preach. Wherever we can find people, we preach. So where do you go when there's no synagogue? Well, they went to the riverside. And down there they found some women down there that were praying. And you, you know, it's interesting, you, you, you look, you find, you find what you're looking for. You know this is true. You know, people are always looking for trouble. You know what they find? They always find trouble, don't they? You, you find people that are looking for trouble, they never go without. There are always plenty of it. Well, you've probably heard the story about two fellows sitting on the airplane. And you know, on airplanes you do converse. And the two men got to talking. And they both found out that they had, each of them had lived in India for 20 years. Of course, they'd never met because India is a pretty big country. And the one says, well, what did you do in India? And he said, well, I was a missionary. And I was there teaching Christ to the people. And the other one says, well, I was a hunter, and I was into India hunting tigers. And the first fellow says, you know, I was in India for 20 years, and I never saw a tiger. The other one says, I was in India for 20 years, and I never found anyone that believed in Christ. But what happens is you find what you're looking for. And if you're not looking for people to preach the truth to, you'll find that it never happens that you bring up the truth. Because, of course, you don't want to bring it up that might embarrass you, right? They might ask you something you don't know, right? So the best thing is, in order, because your ego and your own self-esteem is so important that it's better to forget about Christ and pat yourself on the back. In other words, you think more of self than Jesus Christ that died for you. Forget about yourself. Think about Jesus. I mean, they're not going to kill you. We live in a tolerant age now. People may not agree with you, but they, they don't give you any trouble, really. So, so you need to find a way of making sure that everybody that you know knows about your truth and your hope. So he, he goes to Philippi, and he finds these women. And you look at verse 14, what happens? And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. Now, here is a, a rich woman. She was very wealthy because she dealt in purple dye. And purple dye came from several different ways. One was a little shellfish found in the waters of the Phoenician coast. And each shellfish, you slit its throat and you got one drop of purple per fish. Now, if you want to make a cheaper grade of purple, you could crush them. And there was another way you could get purple from a, a root that grew near uh, Thyatira. It was called a matter root. And they crushed this matter root and they made a, a more uh, inexpensive grade of purple cloth. But Philippi loved purple because purple was a royal color. And Philippi was a little Rome and Rome was a royal city. And we want to be like Rome so we're going to wear purple because they wear purple. And so purple was a very big seller in Philippi. And so she was very rich because it took a lot of money to, to sell purple in Philippi. You had to have an inventory. And she had a big house there. And she was wealthy. And you know, no use talking the truth to rich people because they won't listen, right? Don't decide anybody won't listen. And don't refuse to preach because you think you're casting your pearls before swine. Don't you and I decide who's swine. That's up to God. You just keep telling everybody you meet that you're a Christadelphian. And they'll say, what is that? And then I got a little story. I don't have time to tell you now, but there's a little story I tell to everybody on the plains, wherever I meet. I got a little story I tell them. And they always ask. And every time they ask, they always ask me about my faith. They always ask me. Because I work it around so they have to. And then I never brought it up. They did. And then when they bring it up, whoops, there you go. You ask. <laughs> but that's what we're supposed to do, you see. I mean, we're workers together with God. 
So, so what happened to this gal? What happened to, what happened to Lydia? Whose heart, notice that? We're right in the middle of verse 14. Whose heart the Lord opened. That's what happens when you go out preaching the word. You're going to find, oh, and it's so thrilling when you find somebody whose heart God opens. It's so wonderful when you find a heart that God opens. You can't open hearts. That's God's work. But he needs your help because he works through people. God works through weak people like us. God doesn't use the, the, the great, the mighty. Not many of those are called. Just us humble folks. We're the ones God's... And we're his ambassadors. He doesn't have anybody but us. Now what happens when, you're, when, when Lydia's heart gets opened? Well, she didn't just say, well, that's kind of nice. You know, I'll think about that. No, she was baptized. And she besought us, saying, if you judge me faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. Right away, she was willing to do work for Jesus, for Paul. Because love for God does things. Love for God is active. It's not passive. I love Jesus more than anything else in the world. Or I think the truth is the greatest thing in the world. Would you like to help us? Oh, no, I can't do that. Would you like to do that? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm too weak. I don't know how. It's too far. I have to work. i got some reason. Do it! Lydia did what she could with what she had right where she was. She had a house and they needed a place to stay. So she says, come and stay with us. And that is one of the lessons that we learn from being a family of God. We open our homes to one another. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Use hospitality one to another. Oh, but that's not the end of the verse. Use hospitality one to another. You mean we got a company again? No, not again. We got some more people coming? Oh my goodness. Without grudging, it says. That's the end of the verse. Use hospitality one to another and don't complain. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Yeah, we're supposed, you know, Jesus tells you who to invite to your house. You think it's your own business who you invite to your house, don't you? It's not. Jesus tells you who to invite to your house. You don't have a right to invite anybody you want. Well, it's my house. No, it really isn't. It's God's house. Everything you have has come from God. So when you have a, a banquet or a dinner or supper or tea, whatever you want, don't call your friends. Don't call your relatives. Don't call the rich people, your neighbors. When you have a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. If you do that, you'll get in the kingdom. That's what he said. Thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, but you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. We remember that this beloved apostle Paul, he praised those who were hospitable. In second, his third, third epistle, he, he, he says, You do well, because whatsoever you do to the brethren, and not only to brethren, also but to strangers, he says. And so he's praising Gaius here because Gaius was hospitable. But look at Diotrephes. Diotrephes, well, you don't go to Diotrephes' house unless you've got an invitation and you ain't going to get one. And not only would he not have you, but he's going to tell all the brethren, don't you have them over. Don't you have anything to do with them. So Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence, who wouldn't have, Paul, wouldn't have a John, and he also turned the others away so that they wouldn't have him either. But you see, Lydia was different than that. And if we want to be saved, we've got to be more like Lydia and not at all like Diotrephes. Romans chapter 12 seems to be a perfect description of Lydia. Romans 12, verse 10, we're told, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Now, whatever you've got to do, be faithful in it, not slothful in business. If you're in business, don't cheat. Do a good job, but it isn't your life. Just you, you work in order to live for Jesus. But, but whatever your job is, do it unto the Lord. Not slothful in business, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. So there we have it. We're, we're told what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to open our home to others and help them. 
just like Lydia did. Lydia opened her home to Paul and to the brethren. And not only that, after they left Lydia's house and went on their way to Thessalonica, they remembered them there and sent gifts to them there. Because in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 16, we see that Paul says, Even in Thessalonica, you at Philippia, Philippi, you Philippians, probably would include it at uh, Lydia, you sent not just one time, but once and again under my necessity. Verse 10 of chapter 4, I'm going to read it to you from another translation. It has been a great joy to me that after all this time you have so shown such interest in my welfare. I don't mean that you have forgotten me, but up till now you had no opportunity of expressing your concern. Are you and I doing what we can do to help one another? Is our love for one another showing? You know, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't talk about love. John says, don't talk about it, do it. 1 John 3, 18. My little children, that is not love in word. Now, he doesn't mean it's wrong to talk about it. But he says, talk's cheap. Don't it, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's what we do. We show our love. Lydia had a wonderful experience. She was taught the truth. She then gave of herself. She gave her home. She gave of her time. She gave of her money to help them when they were there and even after they left. Now, Lydia learned the secret of true happiness from Paul. Before this week is out, we're going to learn it too. And we're going to be as happy as Lydia was. We're going to be the happiest people on earth if we just remember the secret and apply it in our life. We're going to be the most blessed people on the face of the earth. We are right now, but I don't think we appreciate the wonderful gift that we have. And so, as our class comes to a close today, we want the Truth Corps is going to help us. Before you leave the room, be sure that you get your homework. Because we want you to take this verse in Proverbs, the one that's there, and we want you by tomorrow, God willing, to be able to recite it in full. Because it's not something to know, it's a way of life. And if you live those verses, you will be happy now, and you will be happy forever in the kingdom. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths.